0: is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for
1: Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. And today will be better than yesterday. Sean Bartley is producing from his home in California. I'm Buster only. And Sean, it was fun yesterday uh, to go back and forth with a future Hall of Famer, Albert Pujols, who is now committed to joining us on the podcast next week to talk about his aspirations to manage? What do you think?
2: Whoa! Really? Okay. Okay. This is going to be really, really exciting. Uh, looking forward to meet Albert and uh, learn more about him.
1: Yeah, and and I'm curious to in this conversation that we're going to have, I'm going to ask him a lot about sort of what. Uh, You know, what's his thought process as a manager? You know, how does he, does he believe in analytics? Who are some of the people who influenced him a lot? I'm sure Tony LaRusso will be one of the names mentioned. Uh, And keep in mind uh, next week when we talk to Albert about, you know, possibly being a manager, there could be a ton of managerial turnover uh, during the course of 2024 because there's just so many teams under pressure to win this year and there are also a number of managers who are in, in on, uh, working under contracts that expire at the end of the year. Alex Cora, Aaron Boone, Ali Marmol, uh, Dave Roberts, just a, a lot of pressure on a lot of managers. And I, I would expect that Albert Pools is going to be in that mix uh, during the course of the summer as we get to the fall. All right, some news and notes before we go today. we got a great podcast lined up. We have team previews. Uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, the defending champion, uh, Texas Rangers. You're going to be hearing from Steve who who is play-by-play for the Diamondbacks, uh, as well as Evan Grant, who covers the Rangers for the Dallas Morning News. We're going to be talking with Jake Peavy. I got some perlative questions for him. Uh, and we'll talk about Justin Verlander's effort to win 300 games. And we'll also be talking with Paul and Ambikides. But before we get to that, some news and notes. Cody uh, Sanga got a PRP shot and he will not throw for three more weeks. Bottom line is, is that uh, the Mets have no idea when the 31-year-old Senga is going to return because it uh, really what happens next will come down to how he responds to these PRP shots. Uh, the Dodgers traded Manny Margot to the Minnesota Twins, and with that savings of dollars that they had, and it wasn't a lot, they re-signed Kike Hernandez for essentially what is going to be his third round with the team, Hernandez got a one-year, $4 million contract. Margot was someone that the Dodgers had been dangling out of the marketplace. Then they had indicated to some of the agents, look, we, we have to trade Margot before we clear a spot for a right-handed hitter. And that right-handed hitter is Kike Hernandez. Juan Soto seems to be settling in with the Yankees. This is what he did earlier this week.
3: So here's Juan Soto. Now, Juan Soto is going to develop over this season as the guy you do not get up and get a sandwich when you're watching on Yes. You don't roam the apartment when Soto's at the plate. High fly ball. Deep right field. Rodriguez back. track wall. It's off the wall and goes, caroms into center field for a base hit. Extra bases. Two runs will score. It's a double for Soto, and the game is tied at two, and that's why you don't go get a sandwich.
1: Yeah, so Juan Soto with a double. That was the voice of uh, Michael Kay, of course, on the Yes Network. Chris Bryan of the Rockies did some damage.
4: 2-2 pitch again. is hit to left field. Pretty well struck. Hernandez going back to the warning track. And the wall, it's gone. Oh, a towering shot by Chris Bryant. Without much wind today at all. That ball carried pretty well to left field. And Bryant puts the Rockies on the board with a solo home run. 4-1 to one, Los Angeles. Hernandez just ran out of room, and it was
1: a good 10 feet up the hill over the barrier. Maybe year two for Bryant with the Rockies to work out better than uh, than uh, last year did. Freddie Freeman, actually, this would be year three. Freddie Freeman uh, got a, a, a hit for the Dodgers, getting, getting the green light on a
0: 3-0 count.
4: Freddie Greenlight, ground ball, right field, base hit. In the
0: score is Ramos, right behind him, Betts.
3: Freeman had not only the green light, he had a good idea and a good pitch he had to hit, and Betts scampering around. There was no chance for Blackman to even think about having a play at home plate. A
0: two run single for Freddie Freeman, and the Dodgers lead it four to nothing. That was
1: Tim Neverett. Uh, Of course, I'm play by play. Rick Monday is the analyst on the Dodgers radio network. And one other uh, personnel note, Brandon Crawford, longtime shortstop of the Giants, has signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. They, of course, have Mason Wynn penciled in his shortstop. Plus, they've got Tommy Edmund on the roster. So it's unclear exactly how this is going to play out. Sean, what else you got?
2: we got another big day on the College Game Day podcast. Be sure to check that out. Spotify, Apple, uh, Apple Music, YouTube,
0: uh, wherever you uh, like to listen to your podcast. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight.
1: Hembo, of course, is Paul M. McKittis, uh the highest paid researcher in the world.
5: Hembo, how are you doing this week? Buster, I'm doing great. Nothing's better than turning on MLB Network on a on a fe- February afternoon and seeing actual baseball players doing actual things. I can finally put aside for the time being my Ken Burns documentaries, which is what I always watch in January and February, and see the real thing, Buster. It happens every spring, and it is a delightful sight to behold.
1: All right, I'm pushing back on you already. Nothing's better than turning on MLB. How about turning on ESPN next week? When we have – I'm involved in our first the uh, game broadcast, right? Yankees-Mets.
5: I thought you were going to say turning on ESPN this week and learning about how the Cowboys might approach their offseason, how the Jets <laughs> might address their <laughs> offensive line, whether or not Kirk Cousins is going to return to the – oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is a baseball podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that editorial comment was by Paul Hembikides. I had nothing to do with it, okay? <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, let's do some over and unders. I love doing this every spring. I'm always fascinated by the projection systems uh, because you know, and I know, and I always think the fan reaction is funny because you'll see a, you know an ardent fan of a team go, oh my God, it's so biased. It's against my team. These are mathematical formulas for the most part, right? I mean, your projection system, mine, Sarah's, those are not mathematical systems. But when we talk about Bakota, uh, we talk about uh, some of what the teams do internally. Those are based on math equations. Give me some over-unders uh, that uh, really intrigue you if you were a betting man.
5: Yes, if and only if. I have two overs written down and two unders, and I want you to react to each, Buster. Uh, my first over I'll give you from the American League, and it is the Red Sox over 79.5 wins at the 100-game um, mark last season. This team was six games above 500 with a plus 41 run differential. They were playing good baseball um, through two-thirds of the season. So how do they avoid the same fate? How do we, they avoid that late-season collapse? Well, I think the Tyler O'Neill and Vaughn Grissom addition actually makes them a top five, top five lineup in baseball. And that's not just my opinion. That's the opinion of Fangraphs as well. They project the Red Sox to average 4.9 runs a game, which ranks fifth, sandwiched between the Yankees. We know they'll score runs. And the Rangers, we know they'll score runs. So the question is, can they fake it in run prevention? I think the answer is yes, or at least they can approach average. Their defense will be better. And if they do wind up signing Jordan Montgomery, which is my expectation, this is a team that I view as having a coin flip chance to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, if and only if they sign Jordan Montgomery, I'm with you on the over. Okay? Uh, because I do think that that's a front office, especially within the context of the American League East, where you have the Orioles, you have the Yankees. And I think the Yankees are going to have a big year, and I think the Orioles are one of the best teams in the American League, uh, and the Blue Jays are very competitive. I think this, uh, in the first year of Craig Breslow, I think they will be inclined to blow it up. If it's if they're just kind of muddling along around 500, Henley Jansen, Tyler O'Neill, guys like that on short-term deals – I think they're going to go, and that might affect that. But I, I would take the over if they sign Jordan Montgomery.
5: My next over, this will be a National League club, is the Giants. I'm playing the over 81-and-a-half for the Giants. This is a team that has had a sneaky good off season. Jung-Hoo Lee is going to be their leadoff hitter, and it's a profile that I really like. We've talked about Jorge Soler on the show. He's got the kind of raw power that you need in that ballpark, and I think they will be at least an average team from a run-scoring standpoint. They're going to prevent runs like they basically always do. They have a legit ace at the front of that rotation, and the defense is satisfactory, and it will be better than that if they wind up signing Matt Chapman, which I think is on the list of options. The most important point to make, though, is that they're going to add not one but two impact arms sometime this summer, Buster. Alex Cobb will be ready at some point, and so will Robbie Ray. When you add that to the additions that they made in Jordan Hicks and some of the some of the studs that they have in that bullpen, I actually see a very good pitching staff front to back and one that can hold the fort will really get fully healthy. So I'm playing the Giants at over 81 and a half wins this season.
1: Yeah, I don't have a strong feeling about them. Like I'm hearing from, you know, different evaluators when they signed uh, Lee, the feedback I got from other teams was, yeah, he's not that kind of player. He's not, Hmm. he's not, he's not worth as much as what they paid him. They think there's going to be an adjustment period there. And the other thing too, is it just, I guess it's uh, years and years and years of watching pitchers come back. I count on nothing. Like I assume that, you know, in the case of Robbie Ray, there might be a, a setback of some kind. I just think that's, you know, that's part of what they have. I feel the same way about the Texas Rangers, by the way, you know, who have all these guys there that are uh, coming back from surgery. All right.
5: I got a couple unders for you, Buster. I'm going to start with the American League under here, the Blue Jays. I'm playing the Blue Jays at under 87 and a half wins. My question for them is, where are all the runs coming from? Yeah. How are they going to score? I have a lot of questions about the lineup, including, is Justin Turner going to hit righties? Is Kevin Biggio actually an everyday player? Is Dalton Varsho going to hit this year? Is IKF an everyday player? Is, is Kevin Kiermaier at this point anything aside from a defensive specialist? I think the bar for, for Vlad Jr. and for Bo Bichette to clear is super high. I think the bar for that pitching staff, that starting rotation, is super high. When you have that many question marks in your lineup, I think it lowers the floor of your team. And I think what it then requires is for the best players on your team to all exceed expectations. It's possible, but 87 and a half is a big number. And what I believe Buster will be the single best division in the whole sport. That's why I'm playing the under Blue Jays, 87 and a half. I would go over,
1: but not by Mm. much Uh, to your point about, uh, you know, it's a tough division. So I I don't think they're going to be a dynamic team, but I think the early indications that we're getting out is that Alec Manoa took his conditioning very seriously. And he's someone, you know, picking up two, three miles per hour on his fastball, that would be difference-making with him. And Vlady Jr., you know, I guess it's once every three years. He can't comes in. He's in incredible shape. He knows he's going to have a big year. I, I think those factors are real. I think they're going to be over slightly. Fair let enough. Me, in let, the me last... you, let me throw sure. a couple at you, uh, Please, some, some mm-hmm. uh, over-unders that really intrigue me. One, uh, Orioles at 90.5, according to what you sent. That's from ESPN Bet, yes? That's right. Okay. I've got the Orioles over 90 and a half. I mean, the team won 100 games last year. I don't know how, you know, you add Corbin Burns, and I get it. There's questions about Kyle Bradish, But I think with ownership, uh, now probably being willing to spend at the trade deadline, I don't know how you go, you know, 10 games worse than last year. And more than
5: that, if you're talking about taking the under. What do you think? I agree with you entirely. The the last thing you said, Buster, is the most important one. Not only did this club win 100 games last season, and while they did outperform their run differential, That means a lot less to me considering the aptitude of so many of their young players, some of whom haven't even gotten to the big leagues yet. And so if they wind up in a position at the trade deadline where they feel like they should go for the gusto, where they should go to win the division, should make trades, no team has as deep a stable of prospects as the Orioles do. We've seen with the Corbin Burns trade that they're they're willing to at least crack that door open. So why not push that door all the way open? They're going to score more runs this year than last. And there's the collection of young position players that they have is so good that only a couple of them really have to improve or exceed expectations for them to be a lot better and having a front line one like a Cy young favorite at the top of the rotation to me makes it likely that they're going to win the division again and why they should breeze past 90 and a half
1: and the other the Philadelphia Phillies your Philadelphia Phillies the over under 89 and a half uh, i spoke to uh one executive who told me that his team's internal projections for the phillies were at 86 but he agreed with me like that's a crazy low number for several reasons. One, I think they're going to be a better team than they were for a lot of last year because they got the worst outfielder in baseball out of the outfield. You know, Kyle Swarber now a full-time DH. I think that's difference-making. I think Bryce Harper will be healthy from the beginning of the year. He'll be in the lineup. Uh, I think that's difference-making. And here's the biggest factor for me, and I you know, covered the 98 Yankees who were so motivated – when they thought they they failed in an opportunity in 97 in the playoffs, they came back with a vengeance the next year. And, you know, we heard from Alex Coffee, covers the Phillies, said players are really focused. And I think that's exactly right because they knew they spent their whole winter uh, knowing that in October last year, at the beginning of the first half of it, they were the best team in baseball and they kind of blew it. And I think that's going to drive
5: them this year. What do you think? so it- I think that eighty nine and a half is about the right number. I think the Phillies are likelier to win ninety something games than eighty something games. It's just not one of my favorite numbers on the board. Uh, keep in mind, and this is something that I emailed you earlier in the week. One thing that I strongly consider when projecting out what a team might what a team might finish during the regular season is what might the roster look like by the end of it? And so what I what I do is I take a look at the top prospects in the team system in double and triple-A, and I ask myself, oh, how many reinforcements do you have? In the case of the Orioles, the reason why I think the over is easy is because they have like major league-ready studs that can contribute now. What you see is basically what you get with this Phillies team, and I think what you get is a 90, 91, 92 win club, but there's not a whole lot of that. The Phillies aren't the kind of team that can withstand, say, an unexpected amount of attrition really well it's also an older team buster and baseball is not an old man's game anymore they're not they're not ancient but there are enough players that i think are likely to regress year over year to where i'm not going to blow through that projection and the last point that i'll make is that the atlanta braves are considerably better over 162 and so the phillies won't have to chase regular season wins the phillies will merely be content being the wild card one all right as we've seen them do in the past and so that's why i think the phillies will be better than a 90 win club even if they only win uh 90 games if, if that makes any sense.
1: Okay. You know what? I think we need a side bet. And you know, I want you to bet against your Phillies in the side <laughs> bet, okay?
5: <laughs> the rule the rule number 1 of fandom, I'm breaking it today.
1: Okay, very nice. Uh all right, some other things I want to talk to you about. Chicago Cubs, I said in the podcast the other day, I think with the addition of Cody Bellinger, they are prohibitive favorites in the National League Central. What about you? What do you think?
5: I think I think prohibitive is a is a strong word, but I think the word significant is certainly accurate. The Cubs are the best team in the NL Central. Semantics aside, the Cubs should win that division. They're, they're over under at 83 and at half, which still feels low to me, Buster. And in looking up and down the depth chart, I think the likeliest reason why is because I'm not sure Vegas is totally sold on the lineup. I think they're going to score as many runs as last season, but I'm not sure they're going to score more because they don't have – They don't have, like, thumpers. They don't have players that are going to swing your win probability a ton at bat to at bat the way that some other teams in that class should. I think they'll pitch well. I really know for sure that they're going to catch well. And the bullpen has also improved. By the way, Craig Council is, in my judgment, as you know, the best manager in that whole league. And so they're going to win more games than they should if, if, if not only because of him. But there are some empties at the bottom of that lineup. And if they don't wind up getting a Cody Bellinger season like they did last, I think you could ask yourself, where are all those runs coming from? And if, say, the Reds perform to their 70th percentile outcome and some of their young players really uh, improve year over year, I could see that team taking over the National League Central. But I do agree with you. The Cubs should be a significant favorite to win the Central. And I would take the Cubs before I took the other four teams in the field.
1: So I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I I must say that, you know, I've had a lot of conversation with the, with rival agents and man, there is some celebrating going on over the Bellinger contract. They feel like Scott Boris, you know, this, he finally, it stuck it to him. He blew this one. I kind of look at it. Like I think this contract for Cody Bellinger is pretty good. Like I, I think what, what got messed up was the projections. Like I think the projections for him were way high. And so, for him to walk out of this with uh, a, a contract of thirty million dollars for this year, thirty million dollars guaranteed for next year, twenty million dollars in year three, plus he has the ability to opt out of the contract, Hembo, I think that's the contract he should have gotten. Like I, I when I saw the projections last fall, and there were some into the mid two hundreds, I was like, wait a second, this is a player who has inc- has had incredible valleys. Like, really bad performance to the point that the Dodgers, the team that drafted him, the team that believed in him, the team that he won an MVP with, they not tendered him, right? And, and so they moved on, and that wasn't that long ago. Uh, so not only did he have the Valleys, he also has missed a lot of games. The last time he played 150 games was in 2019. He He had a terrific year last year, no doubt about it but he played in 130 games last year. Like when I saw the contract, to me that was a lot closer than a lot of the absurd projections we saw at the beginning of the winter.
5: What do you think? Yeah, I like the way, yeah, I like the way that you approach this. Um Cody Bellinger had a great year, but Cody Bellinger had a flawed profile. Has a flawed profile. And and general managers now are are too smart to be hoodwinked by one year in which Cody Bellinger goes 2020 with a 300 average and plays good defense because over the previous two seasons, he had a 66 OPS plus. He was, he was genuinely 66. one of 66, hundred is average. I mean, he was genuinely one of the worst players in baseball. The Dodgers punted on Cody Bellinger. And so like, you're not going to have, not, not to mention the fact that last year, very valid questions about whether or not his baseline was sustainable because of so much batted ball luck. Now we can have a conversation until we're blue in the face as to what, whether or not we should accept some of the hard hit and bad stuff at face value, But there are too many flaws in Cody Bellinger's profile for a team to offer him a $200 million contract. He's also a player, notoriously, that has young man skills, not old man skills. And so for him to capitalize on what he did last year and guarantee himself $80 million, if that's what winds up happening, is a pretty good deal over the course of three years. Although I do think think that the Cubs can also say to themselves, we won the negotiation because any dollar that I don't have to guarantee Cody Bellinger long-term is a dollar I can use on something else. But the idea here that Scott Boris was taken to the woodshed is obviously a thing that only people say because, you know, we didn't have the, the flashy headline. Scott Boris is objectively great at his job, should go to the Hall of Fame someday, and did as best as he could, um, given a pretty flawed candidate that he had.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, the one question, and we don't know the answer to it, if the the asking price, according to teams, had been more closer to what he where he was in the end, if that had been more in the middle, would he have been guaranteed, say 140 million or 150 million if the asking price uh in the fall was lower? Cause it, you know, there were some feel, there is some feeling among the other agents, the teams like the Yankees, if the number was more reasonable in their eyes, like the ceiling, that maybe they would get involved. And in. we'll never know. That's uh, that's one where really only Scott knows. Uh two quick ones for you before you go. The Rangers lineup, I mean, clearly the question with the Rangers is going to be, can they hang in there while they wait for these uh, starting pitchers to come back from injuries? You know the lineup. What do you think?
5: I think they can, Buster. It's a lineup that averaged 5.4 runs a game last season. That led the American League. Uh, That was uh, without Corey Seager for a fourth of the season. Corey Seager was one of the very best hitters on the planet last year. He missed a fourth of the season, and they still were the best lineup in the American League. You're also getting a full season of Evan Carter, who demonstrated over the last month of the season and then in the playoffs that he is ready to be an impact player right now. A value positive top of the lineup player that they didn't have last year. The X factor for me is Wyatt Langford, their first round pick from last year, who is an absolute freaking stud. I mean, that guy is what they look like. And if he is actually ready to contribute and be a league average or better hitter right away, there's nothing stopping this lineup from scoring 900 runs this season, they're going to be ridiculous. And so by the time you get to the trade deadline and you're talking about Scherzer back and you're talking about the Grom back, this team's loaded. I, I think they're much more in line with the Phillies than they are the Braves. Uh, the, the the Rangers will be content winning 90 or 92 games and having their reinforcements in place by the time we get to October.
1: And last one, we had Alex Bregman on the podcast the other day. He was very detailed in talking about the effort he made to increase Uh, His exit velocity, you know, his bat speed, and getting it through. And I thought it was cool. You know, I mean, he's basically going in with a goal of increasing by ten miles per hour. And I finished that conversation thinking about someone who has a really, and you know this better than I do, a really simple swing. And he has a lot of experience, and he has a great approach. I'm buying in on the idea he's going to have
5: a monster year as he heads into free agency. What do you think? It's one of the best interviews you've ever done. I thought it was absolutely fascinating, and the numbers pop off the page. I think you're going to love these. So what I looked up was uh, Alex Bregman's launch angle by where he hits the baseball, all right? When he hits the ball to right field, it's 30 degrees. Right center, it's 26. Center, it's 21. Left center, it's nine. And left, it's eight. There's a very Mm -hmm. linear look at what Alex Bregman's batted ball profile looks like. And he hits a lot of ground balls to his pull side. Why is that so incredibly important? Well, of his 25 homers last year, he pulled 23 of them. Of his 165 career home runs, he's pulled 133 of them, 81%. Alex Bregman is more pull-reliant than most hitters of his stature, which is to say if he gets that bat head out in front the way that he talked about on your podcast, you're going to see Alex Bregman hit 40 home runs this season, Buster. The numbers are loud. I think you're going to see him hunt early in in, in at-bats, and, and, in, and in basically leverage situations, you're going to see a different-looking Alex Bregman, and he is going to have a monster year before he gets a new contract.
1: All right. Well, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I can't wait to, uh, to see how it plays out. All right, Hembo, great to talk with you. Thanks for doing this. Later, friends. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out Next Guard Plus. A Foxaloner, moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. (laughs) Jake Peavy was a longtime pitcher in the big leagues, and now you can see him on MLB Network. And he has become a a semi-regular in the podcast. Thanks for doing that, Jake.
3: Uh, Buster, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Val.
1: Well, you know so much baseball. So I want to get your opinions on everything from Justin Verlander going for 300 wins and adjustment Framber Valdez is trying to make this year on a sinker. Uh, but I wanted to start with some superlatives from you because your opinion is a lot more informed than mine is, that's for sure. Give me your best rotation in the big leagues right
3: now. I, the best rotation in the big leagues right now for me, it, I, the Dodgers are certainly coming. You can't ignore what they do. And at full strength, they're in the question if don't hop over to the top spot. But it's the Braves and the Phillies, Buster. When you talk about the depth, having two studs up top that you count on. For me, Fryder and Streed take a little bit of the edge over Wheeler and Nola for the long haul of the regular season. I think the upside can be more. You talk about postseason, I don't know who's been better than the Phillies guys. But then you talk about Chris Sale slotting in a third slot. And potentially, uh, Chris Sales, is a good friend of mine. As you know, he's motivated to finish out his career in a way um, that I believe he's got a chance if health will allow him to be really good. You talk about him and Morton, your four hole Lopez in that five hole. That's a lot of experience. That's a lot of grit. Big time talent at the front. And look with Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker in the middle of that Phillies rotation. That's some an experience, and Ranger has pitched outstanding in the postseason. I love the young arm, Christopher Sanchez, top to bottom. Those five of those two teams in the NL East are my favorite because I can't count on Glass now just yet. I can't count on Walker Bueller just yet to round out that powerful Dodger team that's coming. All right. The I've last got- thing I'll say, Buck, is I, I, I'm excited to see Cincinnati develop. I'm a big fan of Hunter Green. I've watched him take huge strides. The L- Lodolo kid, filthy breaking ball, huge swing and miss stuff. And then the Andrew Abbott kid went off last year when he came up. Didn't I mean, you know, had great nine or so 10 starts in the big leagues. You put Frankie Montas, we need him to be out there. And Nick Martinez, who I know from San Diego, great leader. He's going to influence those guys and teach him a bit of a routine. That rotation could take huge strides, I believe, in twenty-four.
1: You you mentioned Ranger Suarez. I think he's one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball. And Absolutely. not only because the stuff but also, he's got some swag on the mound. Like, he, he's got a presence on the mound. He's got a confidence, and he, he feels like one of those guys who's going to merge this year. I thought you would go with this is my pick. I've got the Blue Jays. Uh, when you're talking about Gossman and you're talking about Bassett, I think they've got depth in that rotation. The X factor, of course, being Alec Manoa, who I, I think, you know, last year was a humbling year for him. And I think it's clear that he came in in much better condition, a couple of miles per hour, extra on his fastball. To me, that would that would be number one for me. What do you think?
3: Yeah, no, look, I'm with you. I think weren't they? I'm. I um, i do not have my research department out here with me in Phoenix, so I, I'm a little bit unprepared for the show. But <laughs> I believe they they were in the top three of starting pitching for sure last year. Kevin Gosman, I, I love very well. Manoa could be a side young candidate. You're right, but you put Bassett, Kikuchi, and Barrios uh, both had outstanding and big years. Um, that team's going to be around. They didn't quite hit enough. That bullpen's awesome up there in Toronto as well. But I just don't know if the, the reason I can't take those guys, Buster, is because when you get into the playoffs, they don't have the Strider that can just take over. They don't have the Street. Uh, you know, I know Gosman can it potentially, but I don't know if they have the stuff that that you put in, in these other guys' hands. When you this Dodger team gets healthy and potentially runs the guys, they're going to run at you. In the postseason, you know, it's hard to to pitch and get by. You ha- you need to have some stuff. And, and look, I'll back up and, and follow up on Ranger Suarez. You you talk about him having swag. When you go out in the postseason and deliver starts like he delivered versus the Atlanta Braves, as good of an offense as we've seen, uh, postseason against the best offense and you go out and win, you're stud, and, and that can't be disputed, whether you can get it back or find it that day. But you can do it in a big way.
1: All right, give me your best pitcher in the big leagues
3: right now. It's Garrett Cole, Buster. Uh, you know, I, I can't. You can't argue what Garrett Cole is now, and he's almost been this since he's been up for ten plus years now. In two thousand thirteen or so, I watched this guy come on the scene in Pittsburgh. From the time he's been in Houston to New York, you sign a contract in New York, you come to the biggest market, and you deliver. How many guys are we used to not living up to the contract? This guy's over-delivered. He needs to be paid more. He's accountable. He's got great stuff, but he also understands the art of pitching. And, and so you combine all those three, it's like a Pedro Martinez. He's just missing that little edge. But when you start putting elite stuff with elite pitchability, it's a great guy. I was happy to see him win a Cy Young. Logan Webb's my favorite pitcher in the big leagues, um for the record, <laughs> I want him to be this guy. He's got a little bit of ways to go to get Garrett.
1: Well, I was going to say, you, you know, his stuff reminds me of yours, right, a little bit?
3: Hey, yeah, me, me and him are similar. We go about it the same way, yeah. All
1: right. Now, one thing about Garrett Cole, too. Uh, go ahead, Jake.
3: No, I've been spending some time with Logan out here, so he's pressure on the brain. And um, Gosh, it, talking about playoff starts, playoff starts win me over. You go out there and deliver, and, and that Dodger – San Francisco battle with him and um, Kershaw going down to game five and 21 uh, was epic. and Logan really showed what he was capable of and and has done. Look, we led the league in innings 216 last year. Not many guys doing 200 innings.
1: No, not at all. Uh, You mentioned about Garrett Cole. Another factor why I think he's the best pitcher in baseball is that he's a leader. You know, I remember last year I was in Yankees camp when he pitched his first exhibition game and, you know, you get knuckleheads like me focused on the pitch clock and how will he adapt. And, and I remember Garrett being like, you know, it's fine. I worked it out. You know, I feel very comfortable. And I had a conversation a couple of days ago about that with Aaron Boone. Cause I asked him about, you know, how the pitch clock and, and how much of a factor it is with the conversation with the players. He goes, no, it was easy for us. And I said, and I think that was because of Garrett Cole. He said, you're exactly right. Like when you get the big dog on a staff, Coming in and 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 basically saying, look, we have to look at this as an opportunity. Uh, how can we use this uh, as opposed to complaining about it? I think that can be difference making. And, and Garrett Cole, not only is he a great pitcher, but he seems like he's a great leader as well.
3: You're exactly right. You've been around the game so long, Buster, and I believe that you align with me in this thought. When you hear me speak of experience and veteran leadership, I almost feel like I say it too much sometimes. But but, you know, as being in those clubhouses that it takes you can have the best coaching staff in the world, but it takes player to player accountability for things to really change and start going in the right direction. And you just hit it on the head when the best and the highest paid has no problems with it and is willing to change, adapt and not gripe. You or the rest of the clubhouse has no gripe and you fall in line because of that accountability at the top. So. Don't have to be the always the highest-paid player or the best. Charlie Morton and these guys are doing it as not being this guy. But when you do have a Bryce Harper, a Garrett Cole, who, who's the top dog, and they act the way Garrett does, shoot, And Like I said, he deserves double that contract for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, as you said that, I said, you know, I got to call the Yankees to see if that come up because you would assume we're at the stage now where maybe they talk about
3: adding on a couple of years. Uh, years well, team. the Yankees have to have those two guys that they just added on and gave a lot of money to, Rodon and Stroman. If those two guys show up and are who they can be and are healthy, they, they've got a formidable formidable front half of that rotation.
1: Yeah, and we're all wondering if at some point if uh, Blake Snell works out some kind of a short-term deal with the Yankees. Um Speaking of being in the big leagues a long time, Justin Verlander – Comes into this season, he's had a bit of a shoulder issue, but he doesn't seem to be that worried about how much time he's going to miss. Comes into this season with 257 wins. Uh, I tweeted out a few times last year, having had conversations with Justin about the question of whether or not he'll get to 300 wins, and immediately I can tell you on social media that the pushback is no chance, no way. There's no way he can do that. And I, I, you know, I remember having a conversation with him a decade ago, where he's talking about how his hero in life is Nolan Ryan. And he loved about Nolan Ryan. He could be a power pitcher into his mid-40s. I think Justin's totally driven to get this number, uh, in part, uh, Jake, because uh, I think he understands he would be the last guy. That's it. I mean, we're we're not even going to see pitcher hit 200 wins in, in over the next 10 years, let alone 300. Justin would be the last one to climb Mount Everest. What do
3: you think? He's going to do it. It's going to take him three seasons. He's going to have to play through his 26th season. When you miss time, you're talking about what needing 43 wins or or so. I can't see that potentially. It's not going to happen with him missing time. You would have to have two outstanding years to pull that off. Um, Look, Justin's driven to do it. I think you make the point of he's going to be the last to do it. and I think he understands that. When you get older, you understand kind of your place in, in time and you can start to process that. Justin, I think after last year or the year off of Tommy John surgery, when you have a year off to go, you know what? Am I going to sell my soul at my age to come back off of this? I'm sure he had time to think about all this. And um, look, for me, fame comes in a moment. Greatness uh, comes with longevity. And, and my gosh, when you start looking at what he's put together, it's truly remarkable when Um, when I tried, I did it for 15 years and understand what the grind is, how the body ages and injuries take a toll, man, these guys watching them do it late into their thirties, forties. Now is Justin Verlander's a year younger than me, Buster. And still doing (laughs) it. That makes my body hurt.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree with you. I think he's going to do it, but I think you and I are in a very small minority. I just know that, you know, like we've seen some pictures in the past, if he, you know, as 290
3: wins at age 40, but he will grind it out. I, and I, somebody's I, going to give him the opportunity to do that. Even no, he's going to kind of like Randy Johnson trying to get there. Remember, it was tough for Randy. Oh, yeah. But you're Randy Johnson. We the game owes it to you. That's going to be a Verlander moment, even if he doesn't have it in 26. Some team will will, will gladly be the team that he wins 300 with.
1: How about the Detroit Tigers? Maybe, you know, a bookend on his career. Last one. Uh Frambo Valdez over the last few years has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. But in the last third of last year, uh he struggled with his sinker, which is his bread and butter. It's the anchor of what he does. He has that incredible turbo sinker. And from what I understand from talking with Astros people, he had an issue with pronation. Uh, with that, and, and he's trying to find that sinker again this spring. You're someone who knows something about a sinking fastball. Uh, how difficult of an adjustment is that for a pitcher?
3: It, it's difficult, Buster. This scares me. Uh, I don't want to scare or alarm people or or even put something out there that, that's not even accurate because I, I don't have any um, bit of knowledge inside the, the the Houston. This is just me speaking from a broad perspective on framer and, and knowing like that I was front half sinker heavy until a, a big injury took it kind of from me uh, there in, in 2010. But you're right. A sinker is absolute pronation. I'm going to try to show you a little bit. but And it happens at full extension. When you throw that ball and you, you're getting here and on top of this ball, and, and, and really that, that's pronation. What we know is pronation. What starts to happen if you have any kind of injury or or, or something providing you from getting full extension. When I tore my lat and I had surgery, my arm angle changed and I couldn't truly finish the pitch. Everything in pitching happens in that last little bit. You get your body geared up, but if you try to throw the, the pitch back here at all, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. It happens at full extension. The ball cuts, the ball sinks, finger pressure. And at the, you wouldn't believe of how much its ex- extension plays a part in the way the ball acts. What it makes me think that he's dealing with something. Fromber has been as reliable and thrown as many innings as, as anybody over the last few years. Yeah. What I do know is that takes a toll and catches up at some point in time and starts to play havoc with your body. So what I would think is Fromber's probably dealt with some issues, pitched through them, body's changed a little bit, and now they're trying to figure out okay. How do we get back to this best version of, of himself? And I will tell you this, with all the video and the science wrapped into it these days, Buster, it, you have the best chance of, of figuring out. Fromber is one of my favorites in the league. When that sinker's going with that curveball ball and the changeup mm-hmm. off of it, look, he, he's a number one starter and is as good as anybody in the game. So I hope he gets it back.
1: All right, Jake. Thanks for doing this. I know you're headed off to camps. You're excited seeing your old
3: teams. Best time of year, man. I, I get to spend some time with the San Diego Padres, Chicago White Sox, Giants while I'm here. We'll see some other teams, but then to Florida next week with the Red Sox. So I have a better pulse next time I come on. But great chatting with you always, Buster. Thanks, Babe. See you, my man.
1: The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit DirectTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package.
0: Baseball Tonight 2024 Team Preview Texas Rangers.
1: Texas has a chance to be the first team since the 1998 2000 Yankees to win back to back titles. But uncertainty about the Rangers' television revenue seemed to have shaped a lot of what the team did and didn't do during the winter. Jordan Montgomery, so critical to the Rangers' championship run, is out the door. Texas signed Tyler Malley for rotation help, and Kirby Yates and David Robertson for their bullpen.
0: The weakest link.
1: In what should be a competitive division race, the Rangers will spend the first half of the season waiting for starting pitchers to get healthy. Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Tyler Malley will all spend significant time on the injured list before joining the rotation, so long as they don't have any setbacks. If Texas can stay close with the Astros and Mariners into June, this could be a very dangerous group down the stretch. A guy to watch. Last year, it was Evan Carter who wowed emerging from the Rangers' farm system to play a major role down the stretch and through the postseason. Without him, they probably wouldn't have won the World Series. Now the Rangers have another excellent outfielder graduating from their minor league system, Wyatt Langford, who was the fourth overall pick in last year's draft and completely dominated in the minors. He zoomed through the minors last season, reaching AAA, in 44 games, he batted 360 with a 480 on base percentage in the minors and an OPS of 1157. The Rangers are open to him winning a job in spring
0: training. Win projection
1: Sarah Langs projects the defending champions for 89 wins. Pakoda says 86. I've got them for 88. Hembo is bullish on the Rangers, he's got them at 91. Evan Grant covers the Texas Rangers for the Dallas Morning News. Evan, how you doing?
6: Great, Buster. It's good to be here with you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for joining us to talk about the defending champion, Texas Rangers. How strange
6: does that sound as someone who's covered the team for a million years? Well, thanks for letting everybody know um, how old I am, but uh, (laughs) it... um, you know, the other day they raised a flag out here in Surprise. They raised the championship flag. And the one that they had gotten was actually bigger than the American flag. And I kind of thought for a second, well, the country's only been around for 250 years. And it feels like the Rangers have struggled for even longer than that. So um, it, it is strange. Um, but I think I'm getting I'm getting used to it. I think these fans are, are getting used to it. Uh, it's been a winter full of, of celebration for fans. Um I will say that I haven't seen, like, a uh, onslaught of people here in Surprise. But I know that everywhere back in home that, that I've gone, people just – there's more Rangers gear. People want to talk about the Rangers. They're more engaged. Uh, and I, I do think that this is a, a fan base that's very happy and content right now. So,
1: uh, you know, you're around the team every day. I am not – From afar, as I look at the team and what they didn't do during the winter, you know, this uh, as you and I talk, they have not signed Jordan Montgomery. There's not an expectation, as you know, that they're not going to sign Jordan Montgomery. Uh, And they're going to be concerns about the rotation going into the year. It feels like that there'll be this, almost like a -a rope-a-dope situation with the Rangers for the first part of the year as they wait for Jacob DeGrom and or Max Scherzer to get back.
6: And Tyler Mallett. You know, they've they've got, they expect all three of those to guys to come back. Uh, Scherzer were the earliest in June, uh, Malley in July, and DeGrom in, in, in August. Uh, but it is a concern. It, this is a thin rotation right now, and it's it's a it's a rotation that, look, it, it kind of flies in the face of what Chris Young has, has preached since he came to Texas, which is uh, you can never have too much starting pitch. So uh, I, I think it's a concern going into spring training, and I think that, look, what happened with the Cubs and Cody Bellinger uh, last night i think gives some uh some opening for teams to get creative i think we've reached the pillow contract portion of the offseason so to speak and so i you know i look at what bellinger did and i wouldn't be surprised if the rangers at least reached out to montgomery
1: so what's your read then uh, on where the rangers are financially because i remember seeing ray davis Early in the celebration on the field, you know, him going up to Corey Seager, giving him a huge hug. And I thought for sure, okay, this is someone who's got the bug. He want he's going to want to win. He's going to go all in. And I'm thinking they re sign Montgomery. They go after Josh Hader. And it was a, I think a confusing winner for agents in dealing with the Rangers. What's their situation?
6: Well, I think it's, there's, confusion in dealing with a lot of teams right now, simply because of the uncertainty over the RSN situation going forward. Uh, I think it's gotten settled for most teams for 2024, but I think, you know, the next question is what happens in 25 and 26. And so we're in a different place, I think when it comes to negotiating contracts than we have before that all said, Ray Davis is a multi-billionaire. If he wants to go out and sign players, there is nothing that's going to make him homeless uh for signing these guys and that is the question is how much of the bug do you have right now how willing are you to go and do something where you may have to write a personal check i think that the rangers look at two things they added all those pitches last year several of them got hurt they also drafted a lot of pitching very high in 2021 2022 those guys have not yet reached the major leagues, and so they're they're still stuck in this in this period where they've got to they've got to bridge a gap, and that that costs money at the retail level. You don't want to do that for forever, but I think it's something the Rangers still have to continue to to consider.
1: Evan Carter obviously made a huge impact at the end of last year. Tell me about Wyatt Langford. How much of an impact you see him making this year? And Carter in year two, where do you see his evolution going as a player?
6: How do you how do you think how do things get tougher for a guy after what Evan Carter did during the postseason and in the, in the middle of that stretch zone? I, I think he's he's an exceptionally disciplined hitter and he knows the strike zone really really well. He's gotten a little bit um, I don't want to say thicker, but he's he's tried to put some weight back on because he felt he fell down as low as 175 last year and he's tried to push himself back up closer to 190. So I think there's going to be a little bit more strength there as the season starts out. Uh he's an exceptional defender as well. His arm isn't quite as strong as Adole Garcia's, but range and readings are great. So look, this guy goes into the season is has to be the favorite for the rookie of the year. The question is whether or not there's a co-favorite in Wyatt Langford. And this team is very open to Wyatt Langford making the roster out of camp. He's got the same plate discipline, if not better than Evan Carter, and probably has as much power, if not more, than Josh Young. So, the two best young players that this club has, Wyatt Langford is probably a combination of two of them. The question that they'll have about Wyatt Langford, I think, as spring training continues to unfold is do you want to carry him on the, se- on the team if you're getting him the predominant number of his at bats as a DH? That's a lot to ask of a young player when they can sit around on the bench and mull over at bats done wrong for a long, long period of time but I think they're very open to doing it. We got about 30 seconds. So a quick answer on this.
1: As we sit here today in late February, uh, how are you thinking you're going to pick the American League West?
6: Oh, man, I that's a great question. Because the question is always like, how do you figure out who the Mariners are? Because of everything that Napoto does. But right. listen, their, their pitching is really, really good. Um, I think that if I, was, if I was looking based strictly on talent right now, I think I would probably go, Seattle, Texas, Houston, and I think maybe all three of them make the postseason uh, this year as opposed to only two of them like they did last year.
0: All right, Evan. Well,
1: thanks for taking the time to do this. I greatly appreciate it, and I'll see you opening day.
6: All right, Buster. We'll look forward to having you in Texas, okay? Take care.
0: Baseball Tonight, 2024 team Preview, Arizona Diamondbacks.
6: The Diamondbacks advanced far
1: beyond expectations to reach the World Series last year, and for a team with a modest payroll, they seem intent on doing more. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez to a four-year, $80 million contract to bolster their rotation, traded for third baseman Ajuenio Suarez, who should add thump to the lineup, and locked up Jock Peterson and Randall Gritchik as a possible DH
0: platoon. The weakest link.
1: Even as the Diamondbacks advanced through the postseason, they had to deploy openers because of the lack of depth in their rotation. Rodriguez should plug a hole behind Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, but an injury or two in this group could really hurt Arizona's chances of getting back to the playoffs.
0: The foundation.
1: Corbin Carroll will be the face of the Diamondbacks franchise for years to come. But catcher Gabby Moreno quickly emerged last year as one of the best catchers in baseball. The sort of player who reminds staffers of Yadier Molina and how well he runs a pitching staff and how his throwing arm is a weapon that discourages opposing teams from running. Last year, the D backs surrendered only 84 steals, the second fewest in the majors, and Moreno cut down nearly 40% of runners who attempted to steal against him.
0: Win projection
1: Sarah Lang says 88. Pakota pegs the Diamondbacks at 85.2 wins. Hambo has them at 82. I'm going to say 85 with Arizona fighting down the stretch to reach the postseason. Steve Brithume is the play-by-play man on Diamondbacks television. He's my longtime teammate and Bert. Every time I see Eric Young or you know bump into those guys from Baseball Tonight, we always bring you up, you know, about the days working with Bert. On those uh, late on those late baseball tonight's.
4: Twelve years at ESPN was doing that show, and and it's the same for me, Buster. I saw you at the World Series, and it, no matter where I go, I see Doug Glanville or I see Ey coaching and Eduardo and Singy and everybody, and um, it, it was such a great experience, and uh, it's been something that I can take with me as, as I go from ballpark to ballpark. So I'm very grateful for that.
1: But you had a great experience last year. Diamondbacks reached the World Series. Uh, tell me about what that was like and, and it, talking with people within the organization in the aftermath of the defeat, how they were handling that. I had Tori Lovello on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it sounds like like though he was so emotional right after the defeat that he got some
4: perspective pretty quickly. Yeah, he said he was going to curl up in a ball and suck his thumb and eat ice cream. And apparently people from all over the country started sending him ice cream. Um, So he got to eat that all winter. It, it It was amazing considering how bad we were in July and August. I mean, at one point, the Diamondbacks had lost 25 out of 32. They'd lost nine in a row. And things, after being, what, 16 games up over 500, they were three games under and had lost the division lead, and it looked like they were going to spiral right out of any postseason contention. But when things were at their darkest, Mike Hazen made some moves, got some, got Tommy Pham and Paul Seawald and some other guys, and it worked out really well. And boy, they rallied. And it was remarkable to see. And, and you're talking about former Baseball Tonight colleagues. Tim Kirchin, when I got this job, said, Bert, the best thing about this job is the 162. You know how is that's my bad Tim <laughs> but, but As always, Tim was a thousand percent right. That was the best example I've had in my previous 11 years of the journey, the 162 and the ups and downs. And they had some big downs and some big ups. But boy, I tell you what, Buster, it really has energized this Diamondbacks fan base out here. Just walking around my neighborhood, I used to see Larry Fitzgerald shirts or Phoenix Suns jerseys, and now everyone's wearing a Corbin Carroll jersey or Quetel Marte t-shirt, and it's great to see. The fans are super pumped about this year.
1: And it feels like that uh, You know, the World Series run energized the organization as well. They go out, they sign Eduardo Rodriguez. What does he bring to the table for this team, and what's your assessment of the rotation now? Which, as you know, through that postseason run, the off days are really important because it felt like that was a, a you know, a thin group they had to work around.
4: Yeah, they, they need it. Well, the first thing that Eduardo brings is a fourth starter um, behind Gallon and Kelly and fought, and he's brought some tremendous veteran leadership. There's been a lot of attention on the idea that Eduardo was coaching some of the young pitchers and has been very generous with his time about that. Of course, he knows Mike and he knows uh, Tori and Amiel going back to their Boston days. So that has been a tremendous fit. Eduardo's moved his family out here now. Just bought a house a couple of weeks ago. They're settled in, and he's thrilled to be here. But you you might recall that they had two bullpen games, one in the NLCS and one in uh, the World Series that didn't go great. So that was priority one. And the other thing they missed, I think, was slug from last year. And Mike in his front office certainly addressed that, bringing in Chuck Peterson and Randall Gritchick and uh, Eugenio Suarez. So the changes have been great. I think the rotation speaks to a bigger point about this year's Diamondbacks team, and that's the depth. They have tremendous depth at every spot, and it's real quality depth. Like, uh, for instance, the DH spot. The one thing the Diamondbacks really didn't do last year was hit home runs, Um, and they actually had a negative run differential and won the pennant, which is kind of hard to do. But they got Jock Peterson and Randall Gritchick, who will split DH duty. And now you've got that crop of young pitchers, the Ryan Nelson and Slade Siccone and Bryce Jarvis and Tommy Henry. Now those guys have even more experience, a lot of it in the postseason, and they're competing for jobs right now behind Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly and Brandon Fought and Eduardo Rodriguez. So the rotation is in great shape. Both Tommy Henry and Ryan Nelson looked really, really impressive in their first starts this spring. So people here are very encouraged by the not just the depth, but the quality of the depth as well.
1: And Corbin Carroll last year was phenomenal. You can't, you know, okay. find faults in uh, in his rookie season. But as you, as someone who watched him play every single day, which ways do you think he's going to grow next as a player?
4: Uh, that's the thing that he's focused most on, most on. He it's, it's funny. Corbin is such a thoughtful kid, and he was asked time and time again when we everybody arrived at camp, well, how do you? build off that remarkable and historic record-setting rookie year. And he said, well, I just look at it as a growth opportunity, which is which tells you everything you need to know about his makeup. Of course, we have Salt River Fields a talking stick here in Scottsdale, 10 minutes away from the ballpark. And Corbin was there working out in November. So he's been ready to go for quite a while. I would say to answer your question is the power. I um, mean, he's a really, really impressive line drive hitter. And we know the speed is there. We know the patience at the plate is there. Um, 25 homers and 50 steals. He can be a 30-home run guy, not that his focus will be on that, but it's in there if he wants to tap into it for sure.
1: Well, and he seems like one of those guys who will use the experience that he gains to know in certain strikes, uh, ball strike counts against certain pitchers, he's going to take his shot to take a big
4: swing. He's, you know, he walks around, Um, on the road with a carrying a chess set. Um, He's not a guy that's watching Instagram videos. Not that there's anything wrong with that or looking at your cell phone all the time, but he's a very thoughtful, analytical kid. So that certainly speaks to that. If there's something out there he's not happy with, he will improve on it. There's no doubt about that.
1: All right. Uh, Gabby Moreno, I feel like if you were to draw a list, of the 10 most underrated players in baseball, he might be number one. What are you seeing in his evolution uh, from last year coming into this year?
4: Personality, leadership. Um, people forget. And it was one of the changes and storylines of last year's Diamondbacks team. Mike Hazen went out and got Gabby from Toronto, along with Lurtis Garriel Jr. in the Dalton Varsho deal. And Gabby, going into the final week of spring training last year, had a handful of games the previous season with Toronto, still qualified. It just missed his rookie qualifications. But he was going to be the backup guy. They were going to kind of ease him in to the job as a major league starting catcher behind Carson Kelly. But Carson got hit by a pitch the final week of spring training, broke his arm, uh, and is now with the uh, Detroit Tigers. But Gabby suddenly on opening day was the guy. And boy, he stepped right into it. It was remarkable to watch. He, along with Corbin, has become an instant fan favorite right here. I, I can't find anything, and I'm certainly no expert, but I can't find something he doesn't do well. Um, and his he's become a big fan favorite here. He's a big part of where they're going. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to lock him into a long-term deal like they have done with Corbin Carroll. I mean, you talk about a building block going forward. Right now, it's Corbin Carroll and Gabriel Moreno.
1: All right, one of the and I mentioned this to Tori when we had him on the podcast recently. That the thing that jumped out to me, you know, being around the team on a day in and day out basis during the postseason was they have a great culture of honesty. Like I, I found the honesty within that clubhouse to be bracing. Like, you know, if somebody's got something to say or if they have they want to tell a player, look, you need to work on that. They will do that, and it feels like that the players accept it. In a, in a positive way that it's meant. Tell me about that.
4: Uh, the answer is Tori Lovello. I mean, that, that all comes down from the top. That's Tori's great strength. As you know, he is the communicator. He loves these guys. He develops relationships with these guys. He goes out of his way to have conversations that are not about baseball. Um, I think that all trickles down. And when you go through what the club did last year, when it looked like they were going to spiral out of control in Late July, early August, and not make the postseason after leading the division for so long, um, it, boy, it got. They had some dark days, and Tory will tell you that. But that's where that that generates the honesty, and I think that's a byproduct of everything they went through last year—the high highs and the low lows—and boy, it really worked out nicely. But uh, everyone's accountable. There's no secrets, and the communication that clubhouse is second to none, and it all comes yeah. from Tori.
1: It feels like the Padres look, last year could have used that. <laughs> that that's yeah, me speaking. I, you pieces, know. It
3: piece.
1: was the opposite extreme. It felt like the Padres were the, the t- passive-aggressive team in baseball. Uh, yeah,
4: from a distance, the pieces didn't seem to fit there. But, boy, they're dangerous as ever. So we'll see what happens this year. All right.
1: Bert. good to talk with you. Uh, thanks for your time. And I can't wait to see you uh, down the road. Look forward to it, buddy. Great to see you.
2: Bleacher tweets. All right, everybody. We got another week of bleacher tweets to read out. And our first one is going to be from Landon. His question for you, Buster, is what matchups are you most interested in this year? Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Giants are a classic, but I feel there are going to be some new rivalries created this year with up and coming teams. I definitely got my eye on Rangers, Astros, D backs, Dodgers, and Orioles, Yankees.
1: Yeah, and I would, you know, I think you're going to back me up on this, Sean. I'm really fascinated to watch the Phillies and the Braves play out. Like I was talking to Paul Ambikides about, um, you know, how I think the Phillies are going to be a lot better than their projections. I'm going to pick the Braves to win the division, but those games are going to have a special intensity because of how, uh, you know, the Phillies have knocked out the Braves the last couple of years.
2: Hey, Buster, I'm David from Texas. If, jo- if John Fisher were to suddenly give you the athletics and all of his money, which is $2.9 billion, what would you do to fix the A's?
1: First and foremost, and David, I love your question. Uh, first and foremost, I would make a deal with the city of Oakland. Put the team in Oakland. Keep them there. Uh, they've had a, a wonderfully uh, efficient front office over the last 25 years. It's time that ownership met uh, you know, the, the intensity of that front office, met the intensity of athletics fans. Find a way to keep that franchise where it is right now. That would be the first and foremost. And you know what? If I've got, uh, you know, John Fisher's money, I'm willing to pitch in a little bit of money to of my own money to make that deal happen with the city of Oakland. I'm not trying to suck out every nickel in the negotiations.
2: All right, everybody, that wraps up our Bleacher tweets for the show. If you really want to tweet us, get a, get a question to Buster, you can tweet us on Twitter or you can call our number and leave a voice message, which is 406-404-8460.
1: All right. One note before we go, uh, Eric Swanson, of course, with the Toronto Blue Jays, his son, Toby, four years old, was hit by a car on Sunday. Uh, Toby was airlifted to a hospital. And according to Blue Jays manager, John Schneider, he's on, a re- on the road to recovery. Uh, Eric Swanson will be away from the Blue Jays for a while as his son heals. So, man, Uh, All of our thoughts are with Eric Swanson and and, uh, hope for a a speedy recovery for Toby. Uh, That's it for today. My thanks to Sean, to Sarah Abbott, to Steve Berthium, Evan Grant, Hembo, Jake Peavy. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.